Now on view at SCAD Fash, Manish Aurora's Life is Beautiful. Renowned for dazzling designs and a rainbow of colors, Manish Aurora has brought the talent and craftsmanship of India's rich sartorial history to the global forefront, earning international acclaim on runways across three continents. Designing in India since the 1990s, Aurora's glittering garments celebrate extravagant expressions of self through varied materials, techniques, and silhouettes in a triumphant union of Western and Eastern aesthetics adapted to today's multicultural society with a touch of humor. Find out more at scadfash.org. Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100-mile coast. Protecting this critical coastal ecosystem takes all of us. Watch the stories of the innovators and future leaders who help keep our coast flowing at OurGeorgiaCoast.org. From WABE in Atlanta, I'm Lois Reitzes, and this is City Lights. Thank you for listening as together we continue to navigate daily life during quarantine. We have nature in mind today. After Shelter in Place began, the Museum of Design Atlanta, also known as MODA, adapted its major exhibition for online viewing. Later in the hour, we'll hear about nature as it relates to the future of design. In a moment, a young, urban, and energetic approach to birdwatching. We're in our spring member tribe, but please stay with us because this break will be very short so that we can get you back to the show as quickly as possible. Your support is more critical than ever to help keep us going now. So please just go to wabe.org slash donate. Joining me via Zoom is WABE's Jan Berry, our marketing director. That's wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. Hi, it's so good to be talking to you right now, and we need your financial support. We're glad you're listening, and your financial support helps pay for City Lights. And today, we're partnering with Meals on Wheels Atlanta. Meals on Wheels Atlanta helps seniors maintain their independence in various ways, especially by getting them meals. Your one donation to WABE right now will provide two hot and nutritious meals to a senior. Meals on Wheels Atlanta will even bring a small meal for the senior's pet. Please help by making a donation now at wabe.org slash donate or by calling 678-553-9090. Or wabe.org slash donate. Thinking back over the past two months, the WABE newsroom has produced important local stories about the pandemic. We have a new coronavirus podcast, Did You Wash Your Hands? And every day here on City Lights, we bring you context on the impact of the lockdown on Atlanta's arts community. We also provide reading, listening, and viewing recommendations. 
Your donation makes this all possible. Please give right now at wabe.org slash donate. Or call 678-553-9090. Every day on City Lights, Lois provides a respite from the day's news. And we need your donation. Many of our listeners typically give $15 a month, but please give what you feel you can afford. You do that at wabe.org slash donate or with a call to 678-553-9090. Okay, we're returning to City Lights in just 30 seconds. Thanks to everyone who's helped us today. We need you too, so please give at 678-553-9090. Or at wabe.org slash donate. It only takes a couple of minutes to give. If you're already a sustaining member of WABE, please consider giving an additional gift if you can. It'll really help us during these challenging times. Make your donation by calling 678-553-9090 or go to wabe.org donate. Thank you. Our support today for Meals on Wheels is made possible by Lowe's Home Improvement, with 30 stores and more than 6,000 associates in Metro Atlanta. With weeks of beautiful weather and many of us spending more time outdoors during the pandemic, one way to appreciate your surroundings is to get to know your local birds. To help us get started and discuss all things birds, Atlanta-based birder and host of the web series Birds of North America, Jason Ward joins me now via Zoom. Jason, welcome to City Lights, and thank you for being here. It is an absolute pleasure. I appreciate you all for having me. Now, for many people, living in an urban area means a perceived detachment from nature. You grew up in one of the most densely urbanized places in the world, New York City. And the way you became a birder flies in the face of that notion, if you will. Would you share that origin story of yourself as a birder? I grew up a lifelong nerd of wildlife and anything animal-related in the South Bronx. And I always had a fascination for any wild animals. Birds were always my favorite. Around 14 or 15 years old, I was actually living in a homeless shelter with my family. And as you can imagine, living in a homeless shelter is not the greatest lifestyle for one. But there was this incident that happened one day in which a whole bunch of feathers were just floating by my window. So being the nosy New Yorker that I was at the time, I ran towards the window to check out what was going on. Sure enough, about 30 feet from me, there was a peregrine falcon eating a pigeon. And I grew up watching wildlife documentaries. This was the most, the most HD, high-definition wildlife documentary <laughs> that I had watched up until that point. So I was fascinated, you know, seeing something that would have everyone else run away screaming, you know, from the sight of, I was just entranced by what was, what was going on in front of me. So uh, I never looked back from that point forward. And that was my spark bird moment. Wow. I, I can't help but wonder in the 
bleak surroundings of a homeless shelter. Was that whole thing rife with metaphor for your young teenage self? In so many different ways. Living in New York in general, everything is just so fast-paced. And there's there's not a lot of time to just kind of slow down and, and, you know, smell the flowers. And um, birds have always provided me with the opportunity to do exactly just that no matter what's going on. Even if you fast forward to present day, I live in Atlanta. It's, you know, highly regarded as one of the, you know, as far as traffic, is one of the worst cities in the U.S. when it comes to just gridlock and traffic. So I remember sitting in bumper to bumper traffic one day. And usually that, you know, sends people in a fit of rage. But I noticed that there were these barn swallows that are just flying around everyone's vehicle, catching insects in the air. And it reminded me of that moment. And it reminded me that, you know what, sometimes you need to just take a step back, take a deep breath, and just observe and appreciate the things that are going on around you. Hmm. So the cliche taking time to smell the roses becomes taking a moment to step back from the frenzy of urban life and see the birds, hear the birds too. Absolutely. How long have you been living in Atlanta, Jason? I've been in Atlanta for 12 years now. How would you describe the Atlanta birding scene? You know, the Atlanta birding scene is actually pretty robust. And I think that's in part due to the uh, fact that Atlanta is known as the city within the forest. So when you fly over Atlanta and you look down, you're seeing trees, just tree cover. No matter, no matter what part of the city you're looking at, there's dense tree cover. And that really benefits the birds. And, you know, it's early May right about now. And we are right still at the edge of the peak of spring migration. And this time of year is a really magnificent time. And, you know, birders are safely going out, whether it's to their backyards or to a local patch. And being able to take in all of the birds that are passing over us and and utilizing our area during this six-week span. Sheltering in place during the pandemic has many of us spending more time outside and exploring our immediate surroundings. What does someone who wants to start birding need? That is a great question. The answer is simple. You'll need eyes, ears, and curiosity. That's it. You utilize these tools to really immerse yourself in a world that has always existed, but now you're able to peel back a layer and and speak a language that uh, a lot of other people don't speak. Do some people keep a record of a particular bird they see, or do others strictly take photos? Or for those who are more musically inclined, Are there birders who count the songs that they identify? Mm, Yeah, you know, there's an unlimited amount of ways that that someone can bird. I grew up with three younger brothers in the household and we're all subsequently two years apart. So we were always competing at a young age. So I carry that into my birding style. I'm always competing against other birders, trying to see who can see the most birds. And so that's, that's my way of birding. I'm always going out to see the next cool bird. 
but there are also people who bird uh, just by hanging some feeders and, and enjoying the birds that are visiting their yards. There are people, like you mentioned, who will count the birds that they're only seeing or hearing. Um, I actually know a birder who is keeping track of all of the different bird sounds that he has heard northern mockingbirds imitate. So there's a bunch of different ways to go birding. You can actually, if you're on Facebook, you can go birding in this group called Google Street View Birding. So there's these, there are these vehicles, these Google Street View vehicles that just drive around all of the cities in the world. And sometimes they capture birds, whether it's on a, a, a telephone pole or just flying across the road. And they've, they've kept a tally of all of the bird species that they're able to see just by utilizing Google Street View. So yes, there's a bunch of different ways that, that you can go birding. At this time of year, you mentioned early May is a great time to catch birds in migration. What are some birds we should be on the lookout for in the Atlanta area? You know, I think that we are so fortunate here in the Atlanta area to be the first to witness this migration. Us being in the Southeast geographically puts us at an advantage here. We're seeing the first of the waves of the birds that are moving through. So our migration starts around the end of March and it persists until around mid to late May. So there are these birds moving through in different waves. So overnight, these birds are traveling hundreds of miles, sometimes thousands of miles. And when we wake up, it's like we've shaken a snow globe and there are a new assortment of birds that are in our area. And the beautiful thing about it is that they're all singing and they're really colorful. The warblers are the, the prized commodity. There are these reds and blues and yellows and all of these pretty jewels that have just migrated here from South America and we're able to enjoy them along with tanagers and the grosbeaks and all of the swallows. So it, it's, it's like Christmas for, for birding here during migration. Oh, it's such a wonderful, vivid description of all we can look for. Now, Jason, aside from the Atlanta Falcons and the Atlanta Hawks, are there any birds unique to the metro area? Yes, there are, actually. There's this bird that has been in decline, unfortunately, over the past 50 years, and that bird is called the brown-headed nuthatch. Nuthatch? Yes, the brown-headed nuthatch. And they're called nuthatches because they grab uh, nuts and they place them between their feet and they bang on them with their beaks and they hatch them, they open them that way. And um, wow. they, they are a bird that's specific to the southeastern United States. We cannot find that bird anywhere else in the world. It is non-migratory. It lives here all year round. And it's able to live here because we have so much pine forest here. We have so many pine trees. This bird needs pines and it also needs dead trees to build their nest in their cavity nesters so they like to build a little hole excavate a hole in a tree and it's easy to do that on a dead tree so those pines and those dead trees are unfortunately the reason that they've been in decline people tend to move to remove rather those trees from their vicinities pine trees can leave a whole bunch of pine straw laying around and people don't like to clean up the mess and dead trees are just 
unsightly to some or they have the risk of falling. So people remove those as well. So when you remove certain trees, you remove certain birds from the habitat as well, unknowingly. Yeah, I was just thinking about the unintended consequences of something that seems as simple as just cleaning up your yard if you're removing a pine tree, but you have so much to impart in the way of knowledge for preservation and important ecological reasons. Did you learn all this simply through bird watching, or did you study environmental sciences? This is all self-taught and driven by passion. Since a young age, I just wanted to learn as much as I could about the wildlife that not only lived where I lived, but also lived in different parts of the, the, the globe. Growing up in the inner city, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. So the prospects of actually getting a chance to travel and see the world were really, really low. But if I can look at a book that taught me about tigers or koalas, it was kind of my way of transporting to those places that I hoped to visit one day. And, you know, in, in the midst of just engulfing myself of all of this, uh, this, these animal facts, you learn a thing or two about their behaviors and their ecology. And now I get a chance, fortunately, to share that with people out there. And that's really what, what keeps me going at the end of the day. It's, it's not knowing all of the things, but it's being able to share the things that I do know. Yeah. In a 2019 article for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, you said that black birders are, quote, definitely the rare bird in our community end quote, referring to the overwhelming white demographic of birders. What do you think has kept people of color from entering the world of birding? And, and how are you changing that? What's kept people of color from entering is a really complex, multifaceted issue there. I think that it starts from just intentionality, and the intentionality comes from all of these places that are advertising, hey, come look at our stuff, come to our stores. Um, they're not doing it. I don't believe that they're doing it with any malintention. But when you open a magazine and cruise their outdoor section, you, just, you may not see individuals of color partaking in those activities. When you look at, when you turn on National Geographic or Animal Planet or Discovery, you may not see people of color hosting some of their shows. So there's this belief that those activities aren't for us because we don't see representation of ourselves doing those activities. So we're less likely to jump into that mold because it seems unsafe for a lot of reasons. And I'm, I'm trying to change that slowly but surely. I am not, and I, and I always make a point to say that I'm not an anomaly when it comes to people of color and, and their wildlife fascination. I have a bunch of friends who are just as passionate as me, just as talented as me when it comes to wildlife and, and just science in general, but they haven't been given a voice up until this point in time. But social media is changing that. Social media is changing things. And I think that we're finding that a lot of really talented people are actually starting to find some footing 
in this realm and are starting to make serious changes. I think that the future of birding is going to be a lot more, or just conservation in general, is going to be a lot more colorful over the next several years. I hope so. It saddens me to think about what you said regarding the absence of people of color in outdoor nature programs. I mean, even thinking about the national parks, I read about the pitifully low percentage of black visitors to our national parks. And these marvelous parks exist for everyone. I mean, the Woody Guthrie song, this land is your land, this land is my land. But do you think that nature exploration has not been embracing toward African-Americans? Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. And I think that for good reason, we have avoided uh, spaces in which there aren't familiar faces. You know, I, I go birding in, in a lot of different places in Georgia, and there have, been places, there have been times where I visit a more rural kind of environment, and I'm looking for a, a specific bird, and there's no actual park. There's just like a pull-off on the side of the road. And I'm listening and I'm waiting for the bird to sing its song. And, you know, some cars will slow down and they'll start to look a little longer and see what I'm doing there. And then I'll start to feel uncomfortable. And then it's time for me to leave a little prematurely. So there's comfort in seeing familiar faces partake in certain activities. And we're still a ways away from people feeling completely safe in a lot of these spaces. But uh, efforts are being made uh, across the country and really across the globe to normalize it and also to kind of reclaim some of these spaces and, and reinforce the fact that they are indeed for everyone. I think there are organizations like Outdoor Afro or Latinx Hikers that are trying to change the narrative and do amazing work. If you are just joining us, this is City Lights on WABE, member-supported radio. I'm Lois Wrights, is talking with Atlanta-based birder Jason Ward. After a short break, he'll tell us about his web series, Birds of North America. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. We're fundraising today, but we're keeping these breaks very short to get you back to the show quickly. Please help if you can at wabe.org slash donate. Joining me by way of Zoom 
is WABE's Director of Marketing, J.N. Berry. That's wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. Your donation helps us bring you the latest news about coronavirus, the 2020 elections, and also, very importantly, the arts and culture coverage that you've come to expect. And here's another great reason to give. Today, we're partnering with Meals on Wheels Atlanta. They help seniors maintain their independence in a lot of different ways. One of them is through meals. Your one donation to WABE right now will provide two hot and nutritious meals to a senior. So please give now at wabe.org slash donate or 678 678- Five five three ninety ninety. City Lights is here every day bringing you the city's rich cultural offerings and sprinkling in some national names too, from Alton Brown to Paula Poundstone. Help us keep you informed and entertained with a gift at wabe.org slash donate. Or call 678-553-9090. We need your donation because so much of our funding, 84% of it, comes from the Atlanta community. Now, many of our listeners get $15 a month, but please donate what you feel you can afford. Please do that at wabe.org slash donate or with a call to 678-553-9090. Okay, City Lights is about 30 seconds away. Thank you very much to everyone who's helped us today. Now it's time to hear from you. Please donate at 678-553-9090. Or at wabe.org slash donate. It only takes a couple minutes to give. $15 a month is ideal, but please give what you can afford. Just go to wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. And thanks. Our support today for Meals on Wheels is made possible by Lowe's Home Improvement with 30 stores and more than 6,000 associates in Metro Atlanta. This is City Light. Sun W-A-B-E. I'm Lois Reitzes. Let's return to my conversation with Atlanta-based birder Jason Ward. Here, he explains how he became the host of the web series Birds of North America. It's a show that I always wanted to be involved with. Since childhood, it's been my dream to be able to host a show just like it. And the opportunity to host it came about via social media. So I was, I've been very active on social media, particularly Twitter, over the past, you know, four or five, six years. And I started to host a game on Twitter called Tricky Bird ID. People really, really enjoy it. And so I, I made sure to be consistent. And the two reasons that I wanted to maintain consistency was one, because people were enjoying it. And two, you just never know who's paying attention. You never know who's watching. Sure enough, the editorial director of Topic reached out to me and they really enjoyed what I was doing with my Twitter and they wanted to see if I was interested in working together. So we jumped on a conference call and just discussed uh, shooting a couple of videos that showed birding in a fresh new light. Well, that idea turned into what is now two seasons and 20 episodes of 
what is now Virgin North America. So I sprouted up out of nowhere. Congratulations. It is a great series. Um, just preparing for this interview, learning about your work, I subscribe now and I encourage others. I highly recommend it. A large part of what makes your web series so enjoyable is seeing how expressive and engaging you are with people, Jason, your conversation seems effortless. I love the way you asked teenagers in Columbus, Ohio, if birding helped their dating world. I mean, it doesn't seem like you have to think up those questions. It seems perfectly natural. And it brings home the fact that the act of birding seems to foster human connection. In the series, you connect with other birders, such as a feminist birding club, and you share your love of birding with celebrities like Wyatt Cenac. I am a huge fan of his. And that is a fantastic episode in your series. I love... <laughs> I love how he became impatient with you in jest, of course, when you noticed, was it a peregrine falcon? And he said, oh, I'm done. I thought you were watching me. First of all, thank you so much. Um, yeah, I, that, that scene was hilarious. There's been so many of those really fun moments during the filming of the series. Wyatt Snack was a great, great sport. You know, he, we, he, he came and filmed with us on short notice and uh, was just hilarious the entire time. And his observational humor came yeah. through. I mean, when he said, hmm, so we're counting birds, I wonder if birds count people. Yeah. Here he was with you walking through Prospect Park. Would you tell us about filming that episode? I mean, did you talk about what you were going to talk about? You know, that's a really good question. So. You know, we, we don't really have a, like a, a hardcore set out rigid plan or script when we film these episodes because we're trying to encapsulate what birders already know birding to be. And that is, at its core, having good conversation with good people and seeing good birds. So we went with that model and we, we gave them a pair of binoculars and we just walked and we, we just took in the day as it happened. And um, he is a comedic genius and his comedy just kind of sh shined through as the day progressed. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And that scene with the, with the Falcon at the end was not supposed to be the original ending of the show. He was supposed to give this, you know, uh, uh, well thought out, in-depth viewpoint on what he viewed birding as now versus what he believed it to be before. And in the middle of his, statement, I was distracted. I think it was a, a Merlin that was actually Very flying overhead, which is a smaller representing, uh In the bird community in that way. It's interesting because you kind of get to see the park and there's a park that I've spent a fair amount of time in. You see it in a different way and, and just being able to stay in one spot. I'm talking, don't look at that bird. We're trying to connect and here you're going to leave me. It was a falcon. I'm, I don't care. <laughs> Is that that's, you clearly want to make friends with a falcon. I thought we were friends. 
That's cool. You go hang out with your Falcon. I'm out of here. <laughs> that was crazy. Cause I'm looking. And yeah, I, I, and I'm like, I was fighting the urge to really like to look at the bird because I saw it out the corner of my eye and it was flying overhead and I knew I was supposed to be listening to him talk. But I got distracted and he picked up on it immediately and that's how that ended. <laughs> kind of just came about. Oh, it is priceless. Jason, with the pandemic requiring us to be physically distanced from one another, has this changed the way you are birding and sharing your love of birds? Yes, it, it has. I am more aware of the time in which I visit certain parks in the area. And I'm also changing the routes that I take when I am in the parks that I love to visit. My favorite park here in the Atlanta area is Piedmont Park. But um, we've all seen the videos as of late. There are way too many people during certain times of the day. So I try to go a little bit after sunrise, so around 6.50 or 7 a.m. Or I visit parks during dusk, you know, around 6 p.m., where people are kind of just returning back to their homes. Or I visit parks that a lot of people don't really know too much about. Parks with small parking lots as well, where, you know, I'm only sharing the park with maybe four or five people. This may seem odd, but I admire your ability to gain full appreciation and pleasure from observing birds from afar. We live in such an acquisitive world. People want to take home things they enjoy and keep them to ourselves. Does it ever sadden you that you can't keep a bird or bring it indoors with you? Absolutely not. I think that the best thing about birds, or one of them rather, is the fact that they are not bound to anything. The fact that they can live in a circumstance and notice that, hey, you know what? The food, the resources here are changing in a way that is bad for me. Let me fly, pick up and leave, and go to a new area. I think that the fact that they are fleeting is what draws me to them. The fact that during a six-week span in the spring in the southeast, I get to enjoy all of these different species of birds, and then I don't see them again until they pass back again through the area during fall migration. And they look a lot different when they do that as well. So the fact that I get to see them for small periods of time, or the fact that I get to observe a bird flying over and then it disappears into the horizon, wondering where that bird came from, wondering where that bird is going. That is one of the fun parts about birding. And that's one of the things that I love the most about birds. So I would never keep one indoors. Um, I think that they're just meant to be outside, meant to fly, and meant to be free. Jason Ward, Atlanta-based birder and host of the web series, Birds of North America. You can find more information and a link to the web series on our website, wabe.org slash City Lights. This is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. 
We're fundraising today because we need your support to help keep WABE going strong. Wait, don't go away, because this break will be short. Please help if you can at wabe.org slash donate. Joining me via Zoom is WABE's J.N. Berry, our Director of Marketing. Call 678-553-9090 or go to wabe.org slash donate. Your financial support right now will help WABE continue our excellent arts and cultural programming. And you'll also support Meals on Wheels Atlanta. That's because we're partnering today with Meals on Wheels Atlanta to help seniors maintain their independence. Your one donation to WABE right now will provide two hot, nutritious meals to a senior who needs it. Please give at wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. Thinking back over the past two months, WABE has done a lot to keep you informed about the coronavirus pandemic. And on City Lights, we've had stories and interviews about how local arts organizations are bringing you their content online now. Your donation right now helps us continue this important programming. Please give right now at wabe.org slash donate. Or call 678-553-9090. You know how much you can give. And if you're able to make a contribution of $1,200 or more, you'll become a Cornerstone member. Your generosity as a Cornerstone member will allow us to deliver great programming and will continue to be a trusted source of information. Please give, and if you're able to, at the Cornerstone level. That's at wabe.org slash donate or with a call to 678-553-9090. City Lights is about 30 seconds away. Thank you for your help. Won't you please give at 678-553-9090. Or go to wabe.org slash donate. It only takes a couple of minutes to give. And if you can't commit to a monthly sustaining gift, consider a one-time gift of $50 or $100 or $365. You know what you can afford, right? But the key right now, we need you. Please play a part at wabe.org slash donate or call 678 553-9090. Our support today for Meals on Wheels is made possible by Lowe's Home Improvement with 30 stores and more than 6,000 associates in Metro Atlanta. MODA, the Museum of Design Atlanta, began a year-long initiative focusing on nature-inspired solutions to human challenges. The first exhibition, Learning from Nature, The Future of Design, was open to the public for only a few weeks before shelter in place. Now, Moda is offering their educational programs and workshops online. City Lights producer Summer Evans spoke by Zoom with Moda's executive director, Laura Flusch. So most of us were in the office that morning and we sat down 
and had a team meeting and talked about what were our strengths, what ways did we think we could use those strengths to serve the community and and bring value to people in this time. And then we divided up tasks and went. It was it was fast. Can you walk us through some of the online workshops and activities that children eight through 18 can participate in? Sure. Most of Moda's educational programming operates at the intersection of design thinking and STEM technologies. And so what we have been doing is taking the classes and the workshops and the camps that we generally offer in real life or in person and adapting them to be delivered online. So for example, we have weekly Minecraft meetups. And in those classes, young designers are not just playing Minecraft, they're actually using Minecraft as a CAD tool. So CAD is computer-aided design, a way of designing used by architects and lots of other designers. And they are being challenged by our instructor to learn the principles of, say, sustainability and to collaborate to build a sustainable city um, that is respectful of conditions on, that, that we have to create to take care of the earth. In other classes, they're learning coding because you can use code in Minecraft in order to build faster and bigger structures. So we're teaching them some coding while they're building together. We are also offering an online biomimicry challenge. So just a a few weeks ago, or just a few weeks before we had closed, we opened an exhibition called Learning from Nature, the Future of Design, which is about biomimicry as a design strategy. And what that means is it it has to do with the idea that nature has had 3.8 billion years to figure out how to solve problems that humans are also sometimes trying to figure out how to solve. And looking at how nature solves problems and learning from that and applying those solutions um, is something that increasingly designers are doing because it helps us build sustainable systems and buildings and, and so on. And so we have an online tutorial for young designers who want to learn about biomimicry, and then we challenge them to design something that is informed by nature themselves. We have other amazing things. Um, We are doing 3D design online. So again, uh, teaching kids to use another simple CAD program, uh, which is called Tinkercad to design an object that then if they want to, they can send off and have 3D printed by someone who does that. And we provide them with those resources. We also have some interesting things we're rolling out, things about circuitry and coding using virtual Arduinos, which are microcomputers, as well as some really fun classes for kids who are like all of us, kind of stuck at home, and they're called Hack Your Home. And they uh, walk young designers through the process of looking at how their house works. Probably that's changed in the environment that we're in. Thinking about what works and what doesn't. um, What could improve their experience and the experience of the people they live with. And then working on some of those things through a series of classes. And some of them might be very serious things like, I need a quiet place to study. Let's figure this out. Or others might be silly things like, wouldn't it be fun for there to be an area only for kids and how can we figure out 
Wow, that's a wide range of topics that you guys are covering. I also saw that there's going to be activities and educational information for adults to access online. What are some of those online classes and workshops? We have a variety of online classes and workshops and tutorials for adults and more rolling out every day. The first one that we did was we reached out to someone we'd partnered with before who goes by the social media name Badass Cross Stitch. Her name is Shannon Downey. She's in Chicago. And she worked with us a few years ago on a crowdsourced embroidery project. And we had seen that she was distributing an embroidery pattern that says, wash your hands and don't be a racist. And we thought that was both perfect and fitting for the time that we're in. So we worked with her to build an online self-guided tutorial that teaches you how to do the stitches you need to do and how to get the pattern and what materials you need in order to complete that embroidery. We are partnering with another organization called Orange Sparkle Ball. They are a design firm in town with a great name. And we're offering some classes in storytelling and social entrepreneurship online. So if people are looking in this time, thinking about growing their business or developing their skills um, in those areas, those are great offerings. I saw that you guys are also trying to make Learning From Nature, the exhibit, accessible online. How are you guys working to do that? We're working on that. Um, and that's been a little bit of a challenge. We uh, have been looking a lot at the way other museums have put up virtual exhibitions. And we haven't really found a model that we th thought was perfect for MODA. So we're actually building an interactive presentation of the exhibition that will guide people through the material in it and then also allow them to get more information, to give responses, brainstorm ideas, things like that. 2020 is the year of climate and change at MODA, and we will keep talking about that and talking about people who are designing to uh, reverse climate change or to make us aware of its impact. And there are some fascinating projects in our exhibition that will be part of that interview series, and then we'll be bringing in some others as well. Speaking of the year-long initiative, the year of climate and change, has this pandemic pushed back some of the dates for the other exhibits that were supposed to go along with that? Yeah, so we have three exhibitions uh, scheduled for 2020 that look at things that designers are doing to reverse climate change and to mitigate the effects that we're already feeling. And we certainly will be pushing that schedule out. We just opened the first of those three exhibitions in early March, about 10 days before we closed. And so we will be pushing all of those closing and opening dates back. We haven't settled on definitive new dates yet because, uh, you know, we all, we all know it's a little bit ambiguous about when we will be able to visit public institutions again and when we'll feel good about doing that again. So um, we're waiting to set dates until we have a little better understanding of that. Gotcha. So I read that young designers can even earn Girl Scout badges through these online courses. What are some of the badges that they can earn? Um, we're working on building that out again, but right now we have two up and there will be more coming. Um, one is for brownies and it is their bugs badge. So learning about bugs. And we're very lucky that we have an educator who is a bug expert and even, um, even has beehives in her backyard. So she will be not only taking those brownies 
through the curriculum needed to get the badge, but I'm sure she'll be pulling out some of her own specimens and taking them to the beehives, uh, weather permitting, things like that. Um, so that'll be an interesting virtual tour, I think, for the brownies. We're also doing one about animal habitats and then looking carefully at what we can deliver successfully online to build more of those badge workshops because we want Girl Scouts to keep learning. How did Moda decide what topics they wanted the courses to cover online? I'd say that's a constant and ongoing process. But what we understood when we realized that the doors needed to close and we needed and wanted to keep operating, what we understood is that we, there were things we were already very good at and that it would be a value to our community in this time. And we decided that the most efficient and effective thing we could do was to play to our strengths and to take what we already have honed uh, in real life and building online applications for that. So that drove a lot of the first things that we're doing. And as we're getting more and more experience teaching online and listening to the young designers and the parents who are using these resources to help fill education gaps and, and keep kids excited about learning, even when they can't go to school, we are developing things that are responding to their interests and the situations that they're in, like the Hack Your Home class. And then often looking at what our educators are great at and what they're passionate about and how that can translate to sharing processes with young designers. Moda's Executive Director, Laura Flusch, speaking with City Lights producer, Summer Evans. This is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. We are fundraising today, but this spring we're doing things differently, keeping these breaks as short as possible. Please help if you can at wabe.org donate. Joining me now via Zoom is WABE's Jan Berry, our marketing director. So that's wabe.org slash donate where you can go to give or you can call 678-553-9090. Now your donation right now, it will help us pay for what it takes to keep critical information coming to you at such a crucial time. And today we're also fundraising with our community partner, Meals on Wheels Atlanta. And what that does is it helps seniors maintain their independence because your one donation to WABE right now will provide two hot, nutritious meals to a senior who needs it. So please give at wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. wabe.org slash donate or 678-553-9090. Meals on Wheels Atlanta provides a wonderful service. Think about how WABE nourishes your mind every day. The WABE newsroom brings you local stories. My colleague Rose Scott brings you in-depth newsmaker interviews on Closer Look. And we even started a podcast with information about the coronavirus pandemic called Did You Wash Your Hands? 
your donation right now at wabe.org slash donate. Make City Lights and all of this programming possible. Call 678-553-9090. It's important that we hear from folks like you because 84% of our funding comes from the Atlanta community. Many of our listeners, they'll typically give about $15 a month. And you, please give what you can afford at wabe.org slash donate or with a call to 678-553-9090. Okay, City Lights is about 30 seconds away. Thank you very much to everyone who's helped us so far during the drive. We've had some great response, but we need you too. Please give at 678-553-9090. Or at wabe.org slash donate. It only takes a couple of minutes to give. If you're already a sustaining member of WABE, please consider giving an additional gift if possible. You know what you can afford. Please play your part. WABE.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. Thank you. Our support today for Meals on Wheels is made possible by Lowe's Home Improvement with 30 stores and more than 6,000 associates in Metro Atlanta. You've been listening to City Lights, our daily celebration of Atlanta arts and culture. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 a.m. with NBA all-star artist and author Joe Barry Carroll on his new book, Coach Lee Rose, A Life in Basketball. Our producers are Summer Evans and Ryan McFadden. Kevin Ringer is our engineer, and I'm Lois Reitzitz. I'd love it if you'd follow me on Twitter at L-O-I-S-R-E-I-T-Z-E-S. Won't you check out our new podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to 90.1 WABE Atlanta, member-supported radio. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The world is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary. But when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now 
Go online to wabe.org slash donate. And thanks.